When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And Chris, we are in the middle of a lockout right now, which of course sucks. Um, There is nothing that is fun about this. That said, I hope that the Players Association get what they want out of this. The owners have plenty of money to go around. Um, But the one sort of bit of news that is bubbling under with the Mets right now is that they are looking to hire a manager. There are three people who have been identified as the front runners. The biggest name of the bunch is uh, Buck Showalter. Also on the list are Joe Espada and Matt Quartaro. Quartaro? Quartaro. If he wins, it's going to take me a long time to get to not put an R in front of the T in his name. I keep want to say Quartaro, but it's Quartaro. Um <laughs> I don't know why it just, just seems like it should be there. I I thought it was Quattraro. Quattraro oh, is it Quattraro? I think I don't know. Quattraro. I, I am now rooting against him. Just <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking. I believe it is Quattraro. Um, but yeah, it's just too hard to pronounce. Too hard. Give me a Smith. I'm kidding. Do not care. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't have um super strong opinions on um Espada or Quattraro. I, they seem to me to be um, better choices than Buck Showalter, but that's more to do with Buck Showalter than it is to do with either of them. What are your thoughts on Buck? I, I think that for 
for both of us, I think Espada and Quattraro, Quattraro are just um, we at least my opinions on them are really based on the teams that they work for, the Astros and the Rays. You know, the Astros are cheaters, fuck them. But both teams have been pretty analytics forward. Both have seemed to be on the cutting edge of you know a lot of trends in baseball. So I like that part of it. But again, they're the bench coach. I don't know how much of that necessarily reflects their personal opinions or if it's just because that's the team they work for so anyway i'm curious as to as to sort of who you're pulling for if you have a rooting interest or um or what yeah i mean i guess i don't have any super strong opinions i came into the offseason um thinking i didn't want show walter to be the men's manager uh, despite the fact that i think a lot of people out there do um, and I will say that Allison has shared some stuff uh, in, in the last week or so. Allison McKay, uh, a co-host of A Pot of Their Own. Yes. Um, you know, just some some video clips of things of Showalter. Um, not that I ever thought he was a bad person or anything, but you know, particularly uh, good clips of him. Um, you know, the main one that she shared was, uh, talking when, when Baltimore was in sort of his lowest spot, um, you know, when, when everything was going on there, um, and they had the, uh, remember when the concept of uh, having no fans at a game seemed totally yes shocking. Yes. So yeah, it was that it was after Freddie Gray, right? The yes. Baltimore was in a state of affairs where they decided to have Orioles games with no fans there. Just the one game, right? Um, was it just one? Maybe. Maybe. I think it might have been just one, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But but so yeah, she shared this clip, and uh, you know, look, it, the way somebody handles that kind of a situation does not necessarily mean that they are the best person to, you know, do do a certain task uh, in a baseball game. 162 or hopefully more times right. yeah. per year um but it i don't know it just it, it it added some depth to to my perception of him i mean he's been around for so long um i think he's still buddies with like one of the guys uh you know another kid's dad had um been a coach in little league and like babe ruth baseball uh, for me, growing up in in Connecticut, and somehow his th- this guy's like Connecticut car dealership wound up like striking up a like very good relationship with the Yankees organization. So like he was selling cars to a bunch of Yankees players, and I, I as far as I know, he's still friends with Buck Showalter. They used to wow. like go golfing together and stuff. Um, this is not somebody I've been in touch with for a while, but um, but it's just like this weird con. Um, but you know, perhaps unfairly, I don't know. I, I just think of him as the Yankees manager from the '90s. I know he's done a lot more than that. Right. Um, you know, I think from a traditional sense, the 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 knock on it might be like, oh, he's always like his teams have always done better or gotten over the hump like right after he's gone, which is just a weird thing. You know, we talk a lot about what managers do, what they're capable of doing, what, what kind of influence they may or may not have. Um, 
I don't. I, I think, in my opinion, it's probably more coincidental that those things happened after his departure. I, I don't think he was holding anything back uh, in those instances of teams that he managed previously. But so yeah, that those, those are all my good things to say. Um, you know, there, there's definitely a little bit of a vibe of like the White Sox hiring Tony La Russa. Uh, you know, is is this the match for this time in this roster? Uh, you know, we know Max Scherzer made it known uh, according to stuff that was reported uh, right around the time the lockout started that uh, that he preferred Showalter as the as the next manager of the Mets. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know. I know Adam Jones had really good things to say about him, um, that, which I think he tweeted. So all former, of that is <laughs> former future met Adam Jones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when that was a big deal. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, all of which is to say coming into the offseason, my perception was that maybe, you know, he's been around baseball for a long time. He's, he's on the older side. Um, so was all that experience going to be negated by maybe not being a good, you know, somebody who's going to be in touch with some of the younger players on the team. Maybe, maybe that's wrong to, to assume that, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I think getting a little more context into what others think about him has made me go from, ah, I hope it's not him to, you know, okay, if it's him, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm too off from that. The reason I am anti Showalter has almost nothing to do with Showalter as a, like an in-game, in-game strategist or as a, um, as a manager at all, what I don't think is a good fit for the Mets is this is a team that is trying to catch up to the rest of baseball in terms of how they are structured. You know, um, the team famously under the Wilpons had almost no analytics. Um, you know, they're just a team that is not necessarily built the way that a really well-structured, well-put-together team elsewhere in the league is. And, and last year was the first step in getting them closer to that. The game today is very much built around the front office setting the tone and setting the style of the manager. Now, whether you like that or hate that, I think that's absolutely true. You know, I think that there is a um, there's a real sense of needing to have the, your manager fit the 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 philosophy and the mindset of the front office. And Showalter is a guy who's been around for a long time and I think has a different view of what a manager's role is. Not that he can't adapt, but I would just think a guy who's been in baseball for as long as he has is not going to want to hear from the front office what the lineup should be or what what the order of guys coming out of the bullpen should be. He seems to me like the type of person who would have a much stronger sense of, okay, in game, I am the captain here. I am the one who's going to make these decisions, and I could just see that clashing with the with this front office that is trying to get more in line with a more contemporary ver- version of the game. Um, does that make sense, or am I am I barking up the wrong tree there? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. I think you said it better than I did. 
<laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know about that, but uh, you know, I, so I, I just fear that there would be some sort of um, friction there between the front office and Showalter. Whereas I think the other two guys have come up in this more modern era of baseball and have worked under guys in Tampa and in Houston that have basically played this way, that have had teams set up in the more conventional 2021 sense. So um, I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, right? I, I think that maybe it's good to have somebody not butting heads with the front office, but challenging the front office on things. I don't think that anybody has a monopoly on information or on process, right? So if if there is somebody out there who thinks they can improve things, that's great. I just think that if the team is bad, it's going to lead to a lot of conversations about why the front office and the field staff are not communicating better, et cetera, et cetera. Again, this has nothing, not a single thing to do with um, Showalter as a person or as a manager. It's just, I think his generation in the game today is tough. I mean, you mentioned Tony LaRusa. I think Tony LaRusa is a great example of a guy who was very well regarded, who at one point was on the cutting edge of baseball analytics and technology, who now looks like a sad old dinosaur. And I don't want to have one of those in my team's dugout necessarily. Right. Um, yeah, that's I think, how I feel. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think that all comes from a, a similar place. And and like you said, the other two, I, I just don't have enough familiarity. You know, there's it, <laughs> there's no metrics for managers really. Um, you know, I feel like it's something that's perpetually talked about, sort of tracking what managers do, but nobody's put that all together in one place. But there's definitely no. Uh, statistical analysis of a bench coach no, or none whatsoever or, or, or anything else like that. So um, I just hope that the person they choose is somebody who I'm not angry at all the time. <laughs> That's and the I bar hope, we've and, set on the, on the baseball side of things. And then on the background check side of things, um, you know, I hope they actually listen if if there's a an open secret about anybody uh like there was with mickey calloway and they you know chose to ignore it in that case i i have no doubt that they were well aware of who he was at the time they hired him um so yeah do do a real background check ask around the league you know uh ask people of all different backgrounds who worked with these dudes you know make sure that you're not getting a, a piece of shit um, in terms of the person. Yes. That's, so that's that, very important. Yeah. I, I would much rather if, if uh, you know, every manager is going to do things that piss us off. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, they can make the right decision, the one we agree with 100% of the time and, and um, you know, in our minds. And it's not going to work out every time. So um, just don't leave players in a position to get injured with your decisions um you know overextending pitchers and particularly comes to mind um and and yeah and, and just be a be a decent person because it seems like all three of them know baseball pretty well yes yes um do you think if the mets were better in 2020 that rojas would still be the manager right now or do you think that 
the change in ownership in front office was always going to lead to a Rojas uh, ousting at some point. Yeah, I, I think probably always. Um, I think if you know if the Mets had like won the World Series this year, <laughs> right, right, that would be different. Um, it's just weird. And look, I I agree with moving on and, and hiring somebody else for that job. Um, but it's just weird. You know, he worked his way up through the Mets organization and all that. Uh, was with them for a long time, and now he's like a is he the first base coach, third base coach for the Yankees? One of those one of those roles. Um, it that's just strange. It's it, like one of those things with baseball that um, once you're in, unless you're a total scumbag, you're in. Right. You're you're in that universe, and uh, and you're gonna you're gonna find something. Uh, and even if you are a total scumbag. Sometimes you get suspended for a long period of time, but not not ousted from the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Yeah. I. I think our best hope for a manager for most for most fans of most franchises, the best hope is that the manager is ignorable. That there is nothing that they do that's so bad that you can't ignore it. And that's about all I hope for for the Mets manager. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfectly fine bar to have for uh for for that role on a baseball team. Yeah. I agree. So let's um let's pivot briefly to the lockout that is currently going on. Um I don't think either of us have a hot take on this. I, I think that it's it's a shame that it has to come to this, but if this is what needs to happen for labor to be properly compensated and recognized then that's fine. Um, do you have any fear that this is going to delay the start of the regular season? Some, yeah. I mean, I, I think I I, uh, I don't want to say after the pandemic. That's not the right phrase. It, throughout the ongoing pandemic, in the current uh, phase of the pandemic, <laughs> yes, and and coming off. 2020 is still fairly recent coming off 60 games with no fans in the stands. Uh, if things aren't totally derailed for the same reasons, again, going into next season, I would think <clears throat> the players have some leverage in that the owners want to have 162 games. Yes. And have asses in the seats, as they say. Um, but do I think the owners have enough foresight to not have that mess with spring training? I mean, there's some revenue there as well, but I I could see them trying to hold, you know, continue the lockout uh, and then force the players or think they're forcing the players into an abbreviated spring training, which the players don't like because it makes them more likely to get injured. Um, you know, we've seen... It's far from a scientific conclusion, but over the last few years, or maybe even the last decade at this point, we've seen when a, when a guy doesn't sign early and report to spring training and have his usual uh, you know, six weeks of buildup, some of those players uh, have struggled mightily coming off of that. So it, it, it's a whole game of chicken. So I'm, right now I'm thinking that there will be an opening day 
and Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer will pitch games one and two in uh, early April, right? They're not they're not scheduled mm-hmm. to start the season in March again, are they? I think it actually is. It might be March 31st, something like that. That's so stupid. I hate it. it. I hate a March start <laughs> to actual baseball games. Yeah, March 30th, and then the the buffer day, April 1st. Um, start writing your April Fools, Fools jokes if the Mets win on, on the 30th for April 1st. You can do that right now. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it, if I had to guess, I would think that being able to have all of those games will be so important to the owners that um, that they will get the regular season underway on time. But I certainly won't be shocked if everybody involved on their side screws it up and uh, and things get delayed a little bit. See, I, I, I agree with everything you said, but I think that the owners are too afraid of losing money. And I think there's also this perception, and I don't know if this perception is true or not, but there was a perception that baseball almost died after the last major work stoppage in 94. That it wasn't until the home run chase of McGuire and Sosa where baseball turned a blind eye to steroids that baseball came back in any meaningful way. Now, you could argue that baseball has essentially already shed most of its fair-weather fans and is now a sport of diehards, which I think is overstating it, but not by all that much. Um, And you could also argue that just the world is a different place than it was in 94, that there are, um, there is more, I think, sympathy for the player's side today than there was 25 years ago or however many years ago it was, um, 27 years ago. Um, and so I think that you would have, you would have a different reaction from the, from the, the populace if there was a lockout that led to a strike, um, but I just think that everybody it's it's in everybody's best interest to make money and to play. And I extend that to even spring training. I mean, baseball teams don't make the majority of their money in spring training, but they're still selling tickets and concessions and all of that. And so I think that the lockout is going to end no later than the middle of January, because I just think that if it's any later than that, the business of baseball is going to get seriously derailed. And I don't think that owners want to do that. I also don't think that the players are advocating for anything that is like so crazy that the owners couldn't swallow it and still make billions of dollars. Um, quite literally, these teams are worth billions of dollars. Um, you know, I don't think the players are 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 looking for anything that is so abundantly disagreeable that the owners will never will never agree to it. I think they don't want to agree to certain things, but I think that there is going to be a desire and a need to compromise just because the combination of the PR and the financial reality of losing games for the second the second time in three seasons is probably beyond what the what the teams want to do. Um, maybe that's me just being optimistic about it. I just feel like they weren't all that far apart when this started. I mean, they're far enough apart to create a work stoppage, but not so far apart that it felt like, oh shit, this is going to go on forever. So I would think that 
I would think that we're looking at like the beginning to the middle of January. I just think you have to give time for players to sign with teams. That's the other part of this is that there are so many major big ticket free agents that have not signed yet. And I think that everybody realizes that the later a player signs, like you said before, the less spring training, the more likely an injury is, and that doesn't help anybody. So I just hope that pub- that, um, that that generally the uh, that level heads prevail here and that the season is not delayed also just because I need baseball in my life. And, uh, you know, I enjoy my little, um, my little break during the winter. I get to watch movies and TV and read books and not watch baseball every night. But once it starts to get to like Valentine's day time, I'm ready for baseball to start again. And so just for all of us, please baseball. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, uh, I'm totally with you. I realized that I had streaming access to um, various European soccer leagues. <laughs> and the, I don't know if anybody who listens to the show <clears throat> or even... Uh, so let's be clear. <clears throat> One, I'm not sick despite my voice doing this over and over. <laughs> Two, um, I, I am not Jeffrey. I, I do not have expertise or long-term knowledge of soccer. I've paid attention to a World Cup once or twice ever. Um, but I think the combination of my New York teams of the three sports that I follow, and then the fourth being the NBA, which I don't follow closely, but you know the Knicks being in the Knicks. Um, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been getting a little bit of my sports fix with, uh, with some European soccer. And it's been uh, it's been fun to like sort of learn something new like that, but uh, but yeah, come you know March April maybe I'll be all in still at that point. But I'd like to have the option of uh, you know throwing on a Mets game uh, on on a weekday. That's that's something that I don't want to miss. See, I maybe I just haven't been at Amazing Avenue long enough to catch the soccer bug. But I feel like uh, I feel like if I stick around long enough, I will have to start liking soccer, just because of of what you and Jeffrey and everyone else has uh, has done. Here. I, I I yeah, I am by far the newest of anyone who has any interest in it at all. So <laughs> we'll see. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And finally, um, if, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, you probably heard our unfor- for, bleh, unformidable episode by our fantastic friend Rob Wolf. He did on Pedro Feliciano, 
who sadly passed away earlier this year. Um, but I just I want to take a minute for us to talk about our memories of Perpetual Pedro as Gary Cohen uh, lovingly coined him. Um, he's one of those guys I remember being a big fan of before he went to, was it Japan or Korea he went to for a year? Uh, oh, man, I should know that. I, I thought Korea, but I could be wrong. Before he left the majors, let's say, for that year, I really I thought he had showed a lot of promise. I also I have a, a thing for lefty relievers. I love watching a lefty reliever throw. I just I just love how, <laughs> especially for someone like Feliciano, you knew what you were getting from him, right? He wasn't throwing a screwball or anything. He was he was a pretty standard lefty reliever, and yet people just cannot hit him. Um, and I, so I, I'm always amazed by the magic trick of a really good lefty reliever. And so I was a fan of him before he left the majors, and then when he came back in 06, he was just I mean. He was always seemingly always in the game for the Mets. And you just gotta love a journeyman guy like that. And he always seemed to be just a generally good dude. And uh, you know, it's it's a shame that he passed away so young, that he passed away uh, you know, it's seemingly from natural causes. Just just a really scary, sad thing when somebody that we didn't even grow up watching, that someone that we were watching, you know, uh, a decade ago, decade and a half ago. Um, you know, died that way. It's just it, it's it's a real shock to your system. It's a real check on your own mortality, and uh, it's just it's just a shame. So I just wanted to express my condolences to the family and friends and fans of Pedro Feliciano. I know Chris, you got to meet him once, correct? Yeah, uh, some work event uh, at Shea Stadium. You know, the bleachers in left field. Um, I think it might have been the only time I ever sat out there because it was always like uh, I, there may have been some promo with Pepsi that you, yes. that people did, but I, I did that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> did you drink the Pepsi or just get the like get the bottle cap or whatever? So you had to bring like an empty Pepsi can or bottle, but you got right. a free seat in the bleacher for doing so. Yeah. Um. And so my brother and I would decide like it was the summer. I think it was the summer I was done with college and he was done with high school. So we both had these summers of like you know, uh, big transition to the next part of our lives. And we would just text each other or call each other and be like, hey, game today? Yeah. And we'd go to 7-Eleven and we'd buy a Pepsi. We'd choke it down. Neither of us are big Pepsi people. We'd choke right. it down and then uh, <laughs> and then get a free Mets ticket for it. So, you know, my brother is a, is a master of road rage and loves to drive and drive fast. So he would drive and um, – we did that like it seems like every week that summer. I'm sure it wasn't, but that's what it seemed like. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, I uh, also not a fan of Pepsi. I don't. I don't know if I would drink one for a free ticket. I would pour it down the drain, which feels very wasteful. But, <laughs> but yeah, this show is not brought to you by Pepsi. Um, anyway, that area. So in my mind, it was either Pepsi promotions or. Um, you know, like group outings of some sort. So some work-related thing and went out there and like the Mets sent out some players and it was David Newhan, wow. uh, somebody else who I'm not remembering and Pedro Feliciano. Um, and, you know, it was it was just a standard like I'm a Mets fan, took a photo with a Mets player. We didn't really talk that much or anything, you know, but just just your standard interaction for what that kind of a thing is but i still remember it because uh as longtime readers of the site and listeners of this podcast know i uh i specialize in relief pitchers 
and especially somebody who was around that much. And I looked, it was, it was Japan. Your first thought was right. Okay. Uh, when he, when he did play in, in Asia, um, briefly, but yeah, somebody who was such a constant presence, um, you know, especially on, on an era of like just graduating college, the Mets are good. Uh, that, that wasn't something that had really been true. Um, for a long time for for most of my fandom yeah you know i mean the late 90s felt like ancient history by the time we got to 2006 because 2001 through four went so poorly at least five had some excitement well i, I would say that one had some excitement 2001 at, some, at the end of the season after the piazza home run and all that there was right right there was a yeah, chance no. but it was it traditionally wasn't you know a a super fun season yeah but yeah, um, two, three, four—they were just so awful. And you know, it, it was a good time, honestly, to have like my main college years be the Mets were awful, and I just went to games when I went to them and wasn't obsessed with them. Right. That was a nice way of timing things. And then graduating and being like, oh, I can go to all these games. So, so Pedro Feliciano to me is somebody I remember right up there with all of the biggest you know, names from that, that era. Um, so yeah, super sad. Um, you know, when, when that news came out a, l- a little while ago, um, and, and yeah, it just, it, it sucks. You know, that's, that's somebody who, uh, he, he, he had a, he meant something to all of us who, who got to watch those teams. And even if somebody's a little bit younger, I think they might be able to appreciate just the insane amount of work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he did, and and did well. Um, I think a nice thing about baseball uh, is that, and and it's funny to me that a lot of people who like to still try to frame it as stats versus gut feeling or intuition or whatever, and and like have concern for the history of the game. One of the nicest things about baseball, you know, I can't go back and watch Willie Mays play his career. Um, but it's, you can sort of imagine it by looking at baseball reference or mm-hmm. fan graphs or wherever. You know, right. there's there's something about the sport, as much as it has evolved and changed and all that, that there's just something about going back and looking at stats of players that you could have never seen. Um but we all know the game and we can sort of paint the picture and maybe, you know, maybe certain parts of it looked a little bit different, but, um, I, I think the existence of so many statistics in baseball helps uh, younger fans enjoy the history of the game. So if anybody younger does listen to this podcast and doesn't know who Pedro Feliciano is, um, I don't, I don't know. We're, we're talking a pretty small portion yes. of our audience. I think yeah. I would think so too. Yes. But, you know, look him up. Um, I mean, at least in his case, there, there's videos, you know, it, it wasn't so much that what he did on the mound at any given appearance was, uh, going to light things up, but he was just really good and came into a lot of big spots, nothing phased him. And he just pitched over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. So, uh, rest in peace, here's, Pedro. Here's, exactly. Here's yeah. to him. Uh, Chris, what is your music pick? Well, we should say before the music pick, we have a quick uh, interview going to drop in here. We had the chance to talk to Trevor May last week. 
We talked to Trevor Mabe about, about video games and baseball and Cheez-Its, and uh, listen to that right here. So, Trevor, uh, I think if you talk to the average uh, 12-year-old boy or so, being a Major League Baseball player is probably one of the top things they would like to do. However, just above that is guy who gets to play video games and talk about Cheez-Its. So yeah. I want to talk about how lucky you are, first of all, but also tell us a little bit about this collaboration that you have going on with Cheez-Its and Halo right now. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think 12-year-old me would be like, man, I did it. Uh, <laughs> uh, because 12-year-old me also loves Cheez-Its. Um, yeah, so Cheez-Its reached out. Uh, you know, Halo Infinite was released. The campaign was released today. Um, I've actually been playing the multiplayer uh, quite a bit offline with my friends um, recently and played some ranked great rank system. But uh, the campaign, which is more of an open world thing, uh, historically with, with Halo games, it's been pretty like linear. If you think about it, just more of a story mode, right? But they've open open sourced it, added some new stuff, uh, some new like uh, mechanics, so you can fly around and you can do all kinds of cool things in order to to beat the game. Um, and they they're partnered up with Cheesy Grooves for two times XP. All of this is on the box. If you don't remember what I said after I say it, but you can uh, you can go grab yourself a box. Um, you get to take a picture of your receipt, send it into the uh, the website on the back, and you get two times XP. And anyone who knows who can't play video games like all the time i play a lot of video games but even i need that 2xp because there's so much stuff to unlock and 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 you, you want to maximize your time when you're playing so go do it and i know this is kind of goes without saying but there's crackers in the box too that are delicious so uh i love cheese it's i've had them in my i have them in my house at all times proofs have kind of become my go-to uh we have i think i have them i might have eaten them the scorching hot ones are delicious uh so um and then uh I, fandom is also another partner in this project um and uh they, they do amazing work you can learn a lot about games and how to get better uh fandom.com and I, I got to do a tips and trick video with them uh and and a bunch of we made some content as well and uh there's someone i've worked with in the past I've, I've used to get better at games and so it was an honor to be able to make my own video um, to to live on the site and to give you a little bit of insight on how to beat the campaign effectively. And if you don't watch them, you're probably going to be bad. So it's your choice. Nice. All right. So uh, you've had a year of playing in New York City, and it's been a year that is a closer version to normal New York City than at the time that you signed. Um, you know, everything's not quite normal yet, but you can do a lot more here. Yeah. Um, just sort of first impressions of your, your season, your time in New York city, um, getting set up. What, what was that like? Yeah. Um, it was actually a lot more painless than I thought it would be in terms of like transitioning into living in the city. All right. Right. That's like anyone who doesn't, or hasn't spent much time there, doesn't know a lot about the city. That is very scary for most, for all of America, basically. Like if they had to move to New York city, they're like, what do I do? Like that was actually easier than I had anticipated uh, finding somewhere to live that was satisfied what we needed and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we learned quickly about being close to subway and how important that is to my wife. So that is an adjustment we are going to make in the future, but New York city is an amazing city. It's one of the greatest cities on the planet. That is, uh, that is something that I knew before I am. I have dug myself in even deeper on that. Uh, the food, the people, the, 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 like if anything, like any, any restaurant that's been anywhere that doesn't even look like looks kind of run down or whatever, it's probably incredible because it's so expensive to have that space that they must be making money. <laughs> if you think about it that way, there's really it's really hard to find bad food, frankly. 
Uh, and then being a Met, um, the Mets fans are are absolutely just just rabid. They they like that word. I'll use it. Uh, they love they they love their team. Um, they love defending their team. They love you know trash talking other teams. They love they love yelling. Uh, they love everything. And I got a lot of that too uh this this year um and uh, you know there were some things that you got to learn to navigate a little bit with the with the noise in the media and, and the way things are uh one interesting thing was just kind of the number of different angles you can approach a, a four word comment i didn't know there were that many but there is um and so uh i, I learned a little bit that about that as well this year but um all in all man it's it's uh, it's an experience that I will n always remember and, and never regret uh, having. Um, I, driving along the BQE and just like looking at the skyline, and you're just like, this is insane. Like, I can't believe. I never thought 12 year old me would be like, I moved to New York City. That's terrifying uh, because I'm from a tiny town in Washington. So uh, that was a little bit of a realization of a, of a like a dream to me. Um, similarly, to step in on, in, on the mountain at Oakland Coliseum in my debut, like looking around and being like, this is real. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm physically here. This isn't something I'm thinking about. This is real right now. So, uh, there was a lot of that that happened. Uh, and, uh, it's been a pleasure so far, but I think I've learned a lot that man going into the second year, uh, can be even better. Now, uh, both Chris and I consider ourselves a little bit of foodies here. So what has been your go-to spot? Have you found like one key restaurant, that is just, you know, when you don't know what to eat, that's where you and your wife wind up going to just chow down. I'm going to be honest. We had uh, we had about uh, what uh, two days all season where we could just go somewhere <laughs> and eat. So uh, because we were we were in Queens and we actually weren't close to Manhattan. So like it had to be like a date night off day. Um, you know, we went to uh, um, Suzuki uh, Sushi. There's a sushi place that's incredible um, in the city. Uh, we went there a couple times, but. There was a there was a place uh, it was I think it was literally called Mama Mia Pizza close uh, to where we were that was a go to like we're getting pizza we're getting in it from there a classic New York style um, you know anyone that's rated like a four point nine star five stars on Google is like incredible so it's an it was a credible local spot obviously family owned local uh, there was the only one so we would get that a lot we we didn't have like you said it was things weren't quite back to normal yet. Um, and finding the opportunities to, like go and sit in a restaurant, it was just an ordeal. So like we we only did that when we were going somewhere for like we're going we're dressing up, we're going to date night, we're having a day, um, and we're gonna go pop in somewhere. We would just pick it up and take it home. So a lot of a lot of eating in. And then there's a sandwich place close. Um, and I talked about this before I signed because it was the first place I ate. Benetari's though, I, I had them deliver a few times. Uh, they actually don't know that I was being sneaky about it. Um, uh, they were probably looking for my orders, but I have an alias, which is hilarious. Uh. And um, Benetary's uh, is a great deli that is really close in Flushing, and they're huge, huge, huge Mets fans. And their menu looks like the uh, the Cheesecake Factory menu. So anything you ever wanted, it, these guys make about 190 different things. So uh, they do great. Shout out to them again. Uh, uh, I had a, I had one of their sandwiches. I think we had it on the last day of the season at home. So I had one there, and uh, they even put pickles on it for me because I asked for that specifically in a DM. And they made me a special sandwich, which was awesome. Uh, so those guys are great. And you should check them out. Nice. Um, so last winter, you joined the team uh, in the first offseason under Steve Cohen and uh, his front office. Um, obviously, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco did as well. And we, we talked about that a little bit at the time. Um, right before the lockout started, the Mets made some significant additions mm. going into next season. Um, you know, 
do you have any insight into a little bit of both guys? You know, what was it like being Francisco Lindor's teammate for a year? And what do Max Scherzer and the three uh, position players bring to the team that, that either you've seen from your personal experience or you've heard from other guys in the league? Yeah, just from watching him, uh, let's go down the list. Starling Marte is dynamic, and I think he proved that he was probably the most dynamic player in the league this last year in terms of running, fielding, hitting, getting on base, making things happen, uh, and just manufacturing runs himself. You put him in a lineup with a guy like Brandon Nimmo, who is always on base, uh, those two guys can make can pr- help us produce runs and and get, get – because at the end of the day, baseball is either scoring runs or 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 not – or preventing them. That's it. That's all we're doing. Uh, so uh, he he's one of those guys that can do that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, um, Esky Escobar. I played with him for four years. He's one of the best people there is um, just on the planet. He's hilarious. He's so funny. I don't think that he knows how funny he is because he does some stuff seriously that's just hilarious. Um, if you ever get a chance, you should go look up the picture he posted when he was traded from the Twins and is the it's just me. It's just a meme. He didn't know that like that format was a meme. So it's it's like him photoshopped above Target Field, like saying thank you, like he's God, and and said thank you Minnesota. And I'm like, what are you? What? That was a joke. Someone made that as a joke, and he took it and posted it. Like seriously, uh, that's very much him. And he's an amazing guy, and he can play everywhere. He's got pop. He took me deep last year, so now I'm in his book. Uh, and uh, um. And he's just really versatile and he can and he and he gets on base and he can and he's got power. It's 20 plus homers. And Mark Hanna also plays everywhere, also hits homers, and also gets on base a ton. So, like, if you from a from a standpoint like have versatility and being able to move these guys around and and, and have a really solid defense at, at all at all times, I think that was the goal. And I think that they uh they're accomplishing that. And then you add Max Scherzer, probably the most competitive person. Uh, in Major League Baseball, uh, there's a lot of guys that are really competitive. Uh, you can't make the case to, that you're more competitive than Max Scherzer. There's just no way. So I love watching him pitch. He's one of those guys that you got to pry the ball out of his cold dead fingers, uh, or he's not leaving the mound. Uh, and as a reliever, who is like loves it when starters have long outings where only one guy's got to pitch, it's good to have a couple of those guys that not only can do it but also want to do it, and also are going to get the leash too, probably. Like it's going to be very hard to convince him that he's only five, throwing five innings one night. So, um, all top of that, then he's a major leader, leader in our game. He's you know one of the one of the voices of the PA, and he does a lot of really great stuff for players uh, behind the scenes as well. So, having that guy around is going to have pay pay dividends for both player group, but also this coaching staff that we put together as well. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about working with Max. So, yeah, that to Jake Degrom and Pete Alonso and. And, and and the and, and the Frankie Lindor watching him um, grow into being a, a player for New York, um, being really really uh, clear on his expectations and the expectations of himself, and uh, uh, setting some boundaries for himself because it's very easy for him to take a lot on his shoulders. I think that that was something that he was asked to do a little bit too much at times, and I think it's us as, as teammates can can aid in that a little bit better moving forward and being like, hey, man, you don't need to talk about something someone else did or you don't need to talk about this like thing that doesn't matter. Someone else can take it. So like that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I think that he learned a lot. We had a lot of conversations about that. So it's all hopeful, exciting stuff and uh, a lot of really good pieces. And I think that moving forward, it's going to be a good, uh, good time. So, Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So... Uh... 
It's another one for, stemming from Desert Days. Uh, Budos Band is a band whose music uh, I've been aware of a, a little bit. I, you know, they're they're on Daptone Records. There's other bands that have been on that label uh, that I like. Um, I think I had a couple of albums of theirs, like MP3 files, shared from a friend at some point in time, uh, sitting in my collection on a hard drive or whatever, and uh, and seeing them live, I'm just so excited to do that again. Um, their music just hit really, really well. That that set they played out there at that festival um, just last month. So the album I'm going with is the one that the first song they played on of that set is called The Sticks. And that's on a record called Burnt Offering. Um, so I'm going with that record because that song is catchy as hell. And uh, it's the second track on that record. And you really can't go wrong listening to any of their albums. But if I had to pick one, uh, I would specifically want to shout out that song and that is the place to hear it so uh they've got several others but burnt offering came out in 2014 uh i'm, I'm excited to get to this, know this band a little bit better myself um and if you can see them live if live shows are still functional um in a few months who, who the hell knows anymore uh but if there's a safe way to see the budos band Strongly recommend you do it. And uh, I dare you to listen to the song of the sticks off of this record and not get it stuck in your head. I, I, I will uh, I will take that challenge later tonight, I think. All uh, right. I, I've heard it before. I just I can't I can't pull off the top of my head. I think I think I think I might have owned this album at some point. Um this is like the most twenty twenty one conversation to have. Like a friend of mine might have given me as uh like a thumb drive with it on it, you know. Exactly. Know. Uh, that's so. that's where they were for me and also for steve saipa and any other staten islanders out there uh they said multiple times during their set very proudly that they were from staten island nice so if you are fond of we'll call it the fifth borough uh you know they're from there so not just wu-tang <laughs> that has come out of staten island correct um, so, so my pick, I, I tend to pick a Christmas album around Christmas every year we do these because, uh, as I said to somebody today, I think the most sincere part of me is my love for Christmas music. I can be a cynical bastard 364 days of the year, but Christmas, I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. Um, and it's also a bittersweet one. Uh, last week, Michael Nesmith, co-founder of The Monkees, died, and The Monkees uh, are unfairly regarded as a joke. And I understand they were started to be as part of a TV show and all of that. I understand that some of their hits are a little bit goofy, but there is uh, there is like a three-hour rant in me about the monkeys. If you ever want to hear it, buy me a beer and just say like, "Hey Brian, what do you think about the monkeys?" and you will hear it. Um, but Michael Nesmith is one of the most important figures in music for two really specific reasons. The first is that he was one of the first people ever to mix country and rock and roll, both with his songs of the Monkees, but especially the band he formed right after the Monkees was called the First National Band, and it predates just about any sort of uh, modern country rock, aside from maybe like the Birds' Sweetheart of the Rodeo, which 
was predated by Michael Nesmith songs like Papa Jean's Blues for the Monkees. So he is like the founder of of country rock. The bad part of that is it means he's probably responsible for the Eagles on some level, but I won't hold that against him. Um, but he is, you know, like any 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 sort of country twinged rock or like I think modern country is just basically rock music with like twangy vocals. Uh, if you like any of that. You don't solely have to thank Michael Nesmith, but he is certainly a big part of that. The other thing is he was the first person to really put together the idea of a modern music video. He had made a music video for a song of his called Rio, and um, I don't know if he had like sent it to networks. I mean, the Beatles did, did promotional clips, as did lots of bands in the 60s, but he was the first person to like really figure out what a music video could be, and he was the one who sold the idea of a music video show and then channel eventually so he is credited with the person who had the initial idea for mtv um which is crazy like when you think about it that's a concept that for folks at least my age and chris's age like mtv's just always been there and i know there was a time before it but it's so and, and obviously there's a time after it because mtv doesn't show music anymore but there like for folks our age from the early 80s to the early 2000s, MTV was the driver of pop music. And that's in part because of Michael Nesmith. So the fact that the same guy is kind of responsible for um, country rock and also for MTV is just like an insane fact, but that's the way it is. Um, also, he is a film producer. He produced the film Repo Man, which you haven't seen Repo Man, like go watch Repo Man. It's fucking awesome. Um and was just a really interesting, unusual guy, and he died last week. So, uh, the Monkees released an album in twenty, gosh, twenty eighteen. Looks like called Christmas Party, which is a Christmas record. It features some posthumous vocals from Davy Jones, who had passed away before this. It's the last recording featuring Peter Tork of the Monkees, who died shortly after this, and it features Michael Nesmith doing a couple of classic Christmas songs. Um, but it also features a lot of really great modern Christmas stuff. Um, the Monkees did a comeback album a few years before this, and they got folks like Andy Partridge from XTC and Rivers Cuomo from Weezer and uh, to write songs for this album, and so for, for their comeback album, rather. And so they got both of those guys, as well as their producer, Adam Schlesinger, uh, the bass player from Fountains of Wayne, who died of COVID-19 in 2020. They also cover Jesus Christ by um, the Big Star, maybe the best rock Christmas song of all time. It's a really good, crazy, enjoyable album. It, it's so much better than it has any right to be. Um, and uh, I, I just think it's 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 warm and it's pleasant and it's fun. And uh, three quarters of the monkeys are dead now. And that's kind of sad. And so as my hat tip to both Christmas music and the great Mike Nesmith, this is my pick, Christmas Party by the Monkees. Um Anyway, thank you for letting me rant there for a second, Chris. No, of course, anytime. <laughs> and uh, Diana is a, a, a big fan of the Monkees, and, and they've they've got some great songs. Uh, so I think I think your points about you know the way they're sort of regarded are are, are totally valid. Um, Just remember that the Monkees are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and. Um, just think about that for five minutes and, and let it get you mad. <laughs> lots of people, yeah, right? Lots of people who don't write their own songs are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the Monkees, because there was a TV show, were not allowed in, even though they had crazy hits. Anyway, off my high horse right now. Thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back before the end of the year with our annual uh, music review episode. We haven't talked about when, when that'll be recorded yet, but we'll do that soon. Uh, it's a, one of my favorite traditions. 
on this podcast is, and I'm sure our listeners hate it, but whatever. <laughs> we'll talk about music for an hour. Um, but yeah, until then, go to amazingavenue.com. News is very slow right now, but we are chugging away every morning with some Mets morning news, some podcasts, the occasional player review, etc. Once the new year hits, I'm sure we'll be doing more. Um, but until this lockout ends, there's not all that much we can do. But until then, you can find this podcast on all the Amazing Avenue podcasts on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. Um, you can follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Eats an App. And until next time, uh, I was going to try to say something funny, but it's out of my head, so we'll just say let's go Mets. <laughs> <laughs>